0: Chapter twenty four of the Clue by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty four A Confession. Mr. Taylor, the landlord of the Mapleton Inn, showed a pleased surprise when Fleming Stone walked into his hotel and approached the desk. The men had never met, but everybody in Mapleton knew that Fleming Stone was in town. And had heard repeated and accurate descriptions of his appearance. Perhaps you can spare half an hour for a smoke and a chat, said Stone affably. And though Mr. Taylor heartily agreed, he did not confess that he could easily have spared half a day or more had the great detective asked him. In the landlord's private office, they sat down for a smoke, and soon the conversation, without effort, drifted around to the van norman affair unlike detectives of fiction fleming stone was by no means secretive or close-mouthed indeed he was discursive and mr taylor marveled that such a great man should indulge in such trivial gossip they talked of old richard van norman and the earlier days of the van norman family you've lived here a long time then inquired mr stone yes sir boy and man i've lived here nigh on to sixty years but this fine modern hotel of yours is not as old as that the landlord's face glowed with pride right you are sir some few years ago wife had some money left her and we built the old place over pretty near made a whole new house of it you have many guests well not as many as i'd like but as many as i can expect in a little town like this mostly transients of course drummers and men of that sort young willard stayed here when the van norman house was full of company but after the the trouble he went back there to stay affable sort of man willard isn't he observed stone yes he's all of that but he's a scapegrace he used to lead this town a dance when he lived here how long since he lived here oh he's only been away a matter of three years or that about a year before his uncle died they quarreled they both had the devil's own temper and they had quarreled before but this time it was for keeps and so off goes mr tom and never turns up again until he comes to Miss Madeline's wedding. Was he in any business when he lived here? Yes, he had a good position as engineer in a big factory. He was a good worker, Tom was, and not afraid of anything. Always jolly and good-natured, except when he'd have one of them fearful fits of temper. Then he was like a raging lion. No, more like a tiger quiet like but deep and desperate soon after fleming stone rose to go thank you very much he said politely for your half hour and by the way have you any cashews i find i haven't any with me and after smoking you know before going back to the ladies yes yes i know but i don't happen to have any "'But wait a minute. I believe Tripp has some.' He threw open the door and gave a quick whistle. A boy appeared so suddenly that he could not have been far away, and, moreover, his sharp black eyes and alert manner betokened the type of boy who would be apt to be listening about. His hand was already in his pocket when Mr. Taylor said to him, "Trip, didn't I see you have a small bottle of cashews?' those little silver pellets you know yes sir and trip drew forth a half-filled bottle that's right give them to the gentleman oh i only want a couple said fleming stone taking the vial which trip thrust toward him where did you get these my boy the boy blushed and looked down twisting his fingers in embarrassment speak up trip said the landlord sternly answer the gentleman and see that you tell the truth i ain't gonna tell no lie said trip doggedly i found this here bottle in the bureau drawer of number fourteen a few days ago fourteen that's the room mr willard had said mr taylor reflectively yes sir but he didn't leave them there they were there before i seen em and i know that hatchet faced hardware man left em then mr willard he come but he didn't swipe em so i did that ain't no harm is it not a bit said fleming stone since you've told the truth about it and here's a dollar for your honesty and i'm going to ask you not to say anything more about the matter for a few days at least also i'm going to ask to be allowed to take a look at room number fourteen certainly sir trip show the gentleman up and mr taylor fairly rubbed his hands with satisfaction to think that he and his premises were being made use by the great detective yes sir it's at the back of the house sir this way sir mr stone's survey of the room was exceedingly brief he gave one glance around, looked out of the only window it contained, tried the key in the lock, and then expressed himself satisfied. Tripp, disappointed at the quickly finished performance, elaborately pointed out the exact spot where he had found the cashew bottle. But Mr. Stone did not seem greatly interested. However, the interview was financially successful to Tripp and after mr stone's departure he turned several handsprings by way of expressing his satisfaction with the detective gentleman after dinner that evening the group of the night before reassembled in the library a strange feeling of oppression seemed to hang over all the very fact that fleming stone had as yet said nothing of any discoveries he might have made and the continued courtesy of his pleasant affable demeanour seemed to imply that he had succeeded rather than failed in his mission although genial and quickly responsive he was after all an inscrutable man and mr fairbanks for one had learned that his gentle cordiality often hid deep thoughts in a quickly working mind without preamble as soon as they were seated mr stone began employed by coroner benson i was asked to come here to discover if might be the murderer of madeline van norman by some unmistakable evidence which i have found by some reliable witnesses with whom i have talked and by some proofs which i have discovered i have learned beyond all doubt who is the criminal and how the deed was done IS IT THE WISH OF ALL PRESENT THAT I SHOULD NOW MAKE KNOWN WHAT I HAVE DISCOVERED, OR IS IT PREFERRED THAT I SHOULD TELL CORONER BENSON ALONE?" FOR SEVERAL MINUTES NOBODY SPOKE, AND THEN THE CORONER SAID, UNLESS ANYONE PRESENT STATES AN OBJECTION, YOU MAY PROCEED TO TELL US WHAT YOU KNOW, HERE AND NOW, MR. STONE. AFTER WAITING A MOMENT LONGER AND HEARING NO OBJECTION RAISED, FLEMING STONE PROCEEDED the man who murdered miss van norman entered the house through a cellar window he climbed up through the ash chute in the drawing-room fireplace although some of mr stone's hearers had listened to this revelation in the morning the others had not heard of it and every face expressed utter astonishment if not unbelief with the exception of one tom willard turned white and stared at fleming stone as if he had not understood what he said hoarsely as if he had not heard the interruption fleming stone went on who that man was i think i need not tell you is he not already telling you himself willard's face grew drawn and stiff like that of a paralyzed man BUT HIS BURNING EYES SEEMED UNABLE TO TEAR THEMSELVES AWAY FROM THE QUIET GAZE OF FLEMING STONE. THEN WITH A groan, WILLARD'S HEAD SANK INTO HIS HANDS, AND HE FELL FORWARD ON THE TABLE, THE VERY TABLE AT WHICH MADELINE HAD SAT ON THAT FATAL NIGHT. THERE WAS A STIR, AND Schuyler CARLTON RUSHED FORWARD TO WILLARD'S ASSISTANCE IF NEED BE. BUT THE MAN HAD NOT FAINTED, AND RAISING HIS WHITE FACE, He squared his shoulders, clenched his hands, and, again fixing his eyes on those of Fleming Stone, said in a desperate voice, "'Go on!' "'I must go on,' said Stone gently. "'I know each one of you is thinking that it is absurd to imagine a man of Mr. Willard's weight and girth climbing up through the seemingly small opening in the fireplace. But this can be explained.' to one who does not know how such a feat would seem impossible and moreover it would be impossible it is only one who knows how who can do it there are men in certain occupations such as engineers and boiler men who are continually obliged to squeeze through holes quite as small the regular boiler man hole is oval and measures ten by fifteen inches but there are many of them in large tanks, which measure even less each way. I had occasion some time ago to interview an engineer on this subject. He weighed 215 pounds, and had a chest measure of 42 inches. He told me that he could go through a much smaller manhole than other workmen who weighed only 160 pounds, simply because he knew how. It is done by certain manipulations of the great muscles, and by following a certain routine of procedure. But the method is unimportant for the moment. The fact remains, and can be verified by any engineer. I discovered today that Mr. Willard is, or has been, an expert engineer, and for many years held such a position in a large factory, right here in Mapleton. As to Mr. Willard's presence in this house upon that fatal night, a tiny clue discovered by Mr. Fessenden gives us indubitable proof. Mr. Fessenden found next morning on the drawing-room floor a cashew. I have learned that these are by no means in common use in Mapleton, and, moreover, that it is not the custom of any one of the men now present to use them. I further learned that after Mr. Willard left here that night to go to the hotel he found by chance a small bottle of these in the room which was assigned to him. I am assuming that he carelessly put a few in his pocket, and that in his struggle through the ash chute one fell upon the carpet. The room which Mr. Willard occupied at Mapleton Inn is in the second story and its window opens upon a veranda roof which has a gentle slope almost to the ground this provides an easy means of exit and entrance and as mr willard has no alibi later than half past ten on that evening the time would permit him to come here and go away again before the hour when mr carlton is known to have arrived then turning and meeting tom's intent gaze fleming stone addressed himself directly to him and said why you chose to kill your cousin i don't know but you did i did said tom in a hollow voice and i will tell you why he rose as he spoke and standing by the table he steadied himself by placing one hand upon it it was entirely unpremeditated he said and I'm going to tell you about it, because I owe a confession to Madeline's memory, though I am responsible for my deed to no one here present. Though Willard spoke with no attempt at pride or defiance, his tone and look were those of a man hopeless and utterly crushed. He addressed himself principally to Fleming Stone, looking now and then at Carlton, but not so much as glancing at anyone else. It is no secret, I think, that I loved my cousin Madeline. Many, many times I have pleaded with her to marry me. But never mind about that. When I came here to attend her wedding I couldn't help seeing that the man she was about to marry did not love and worship her as I did. I besought her to give him up and to marry me, but she would not listen to that for a moment. That day before the wedding They had a little tiff, and Carlton did not return for dinner, though Madeline expected him. She was all broken up about this, and was not herself during the evening. When I left her at about ten o'clock to go to the hotel, her sad face haunted me, and I could not dispel the idea that I must have one more talk with her and beg her not to marry a man who did not love her without seeming to do so fleming stone stole a glance at carlton the man sat quietly with bowed head as one who hears himself denounced but recognizes the truth i was in my room at the hotel went on tom and was preparing for bed when the irresistible impulse came to me to go and see maddie once more before her wedding day I had no thought of wrongdoing. I came out through the window instead of in the ordinary way, only because I knew the inn was about to be closed for the night, and I knew I could get back the same way. A trellis, that was simply a ladder, reached up to the low roof, and it was quite as easy an exit as through the front door. As to the cashews, I had found the stray vial there and had slipped a couple in my pocket without really thinking anything about it i don't usually carry them but they are by no means unfamiliar to me i came directly over here and found the house partially darkened as if for the night there was a low light in the library and hall but the blinds were drawn and i could see only a glimpse of mattie's yellow dress on the floor I was about to ring the bell when i suddenly thought that i didn't care to rouse the household or even the servants and remembering the way i often used to get in when i came home at night later than my uncle approved i went around and entered by a cellar window i came up through the fireplace exactly as mr stone has described to you it is astonishingly easy to anyone who knows how and quite impossible for one who does not i crossed the drawing-room at once and entered the library naturally i made very little noise but still i am surprised that hunt did not hear me i did not try to be entirely silent for i had no thought of evil in my heart madeline looked up at me as i came into this room and smiled She asked me how I got in, and I told her, and we both laughed at some old reminiscences. I did not see that paper that Miss Dupuy wrote. Then I told her frankly that I wanted her to give up Carlton, for he did not love her, and I did. When I said that about Carlton, Maddie burst into weeping and said it wasn't true. I said it was, and offered to prove it and then we quarreled. To you who do not know our family temper, this may sound trivial, but it was not. We had a most intense and fiery quarrel, and though probably our voices were not raised, that was not our way. We were so furious with each other that we were practically beside ourselves. Maddened, too, by jealousy, and by being baffled in my errand, i suddenly resolved to kill both my cousin and myself i picked up the dagger and told her what i was about to do being fully determined to stab her and then myself she did not scream she simply sat there in her superb beauty her arm resting on the table and said quietly you dare not do it this threw me into a frenzy and with one thrust I drove the dagger home to her heart. She died without a sound, and I pulled out the dagger to turn it upon myself. But the sight of Madeline's blood brought me to my senses. I dropped the dagger, and new thoughts came rushing to my mind thick and fast. Madeline was dead. I could not bring her again to life. The fortune was now mine. WOULD I NOT BE A FOOL THEN TO KILL MYSELF? I'M NOT EXCUSING THESE THOUGHTS. I'M SIMPLY TELLING THE THING AS IT OCCURRED. I TURNED AND SOFTLY RECROSSED THE HALL, LET MYSELF DOWN THROUGH THE DRAWING-ROOM FIREPLACE, AND WAS BACK IN MY ROOM AT THE HOTEL WITHOUT HAVING MET ANYONE GOING OR COMING. AT TWO O'CLOCK I WAS SUMMONED OVER HERE BY TELEPHONE AND I CAME. Miss Morton met me in the parlor, and as there was a bright light there then, I chanced to see one of those miserable cashews on the carpet. I picked it up and concealed it, but it warned me. And when Mr. Fessenden asked me the next day if I had any, I said no. "'Now I have told you all. Wait, do not speak.' I know you would say that I was a coward not to take my own life when I intended to. I admit it, I was a coward, but it is not yet too late for the deed." Before anyone could move to prevent it, Tom had grasped the dagger from the drawer where it was hidden and plunged it into his own breast. He sank down into the chair, the very chair where Madeline had died and dreadful as the occasion was those who saw him could not but feel that it was just retribution it was schuyler carleton who again started forward and put his arm around the wounded man tom he cried oh tom why did you do that carleton then involuntarily started to pull the dagger away but tom stopped him don't he said thickly to pull that out will finish me leave it and i have a few moments more that is true said fleming stone someone telephone for a doctor but do not disturb the weapon mr willard if you have anything to say say it quickly i will said tom quickly fessenden you are a lawyer Will you draw up my will? Without a word, Rob caught up paper and pen and prepared to take the last words of the dying man. Though not entirely in legal phrasing, the will was completed, and after a general bequest to Fessenden himself, and directing that all bills should be paid, and other minor matters of the sort, Tom Willard left the bulk of his fortune to Schuyler Carleton that he said with almost his last breath is only a deed of justice in the name of madeline and myself before the arrival of dr hills tom willard was dead self-confessed self-convicted self-punished but his crime was discovered by fleming stone and proved by means of a tiny clue End of chapter 24 End of The Clue by Carolyn Wells Recording by Roger Moline.